For Manchester Bidwell Corporation in Pittsburgh, I'm Jonathan Zito, and this is In Earnest. One of the things I've been the most eager to do with these conversations is to put a spotlight on some of the people who have had their lives meaningfully changed by the work we do here. I was able to do exactly that with Eva Funderburg, a prolific ceramic artist who attended MCG Youth and Arts as a high school student many years ago. Filled with playfulness, movement, beauty, and fantasy, Eva's current work should be seen more than it should be described, so I really encourage you to take a moment and sit with the images of her work online. Her work can be seen on her Instagram, where she's at Eva Funderburg, or you can go to mcgyouthandarts.org and look at our digital gallery, where her current show, Celestial Beasts, is featured. There will be a closing reception and artist talk for this show on March 3rd here at NBC's main building at 1815 Metropolitan. Eva also has an ongoing project, Migration, which we discussed towards the end, where her pieces are appearing all around the world in unexpected places. Unlike a lot of my other interviews, this was actually the first time I'd ever met Eva, and it was a really illuminating and inspiring interaction that I've been thinking a lot about ever since. We spent a lot of time talking about process, inspiration, and craft, and I think there are ideas and principles of creativity here that are universally applicable to anyone. Nowadays, I'm from Seattle. I've been there for 16 years. Oh, okay. Um, are you from there originally? Technically, yes. Okay. I was born there, left at three months, and then grew up in Kansas until okay. about age 16. Okay. And then between uh, sophomore and junior year of high school, my parents moved from Kansas to Pittsburgh. Okay. And so I had two years of high school in Pittsburgh mm. and then stuck around for college. I went to CMU. Oh, great. Okay. And since then, I've been in Seattle. Back to Seattle. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, what brought your parents? Just work? Yeah. So they're both, um, uh, they both were cornea researchers. Oh, wow. And they came and worked for Pitt, actually. Oh, gotcha. They're doing, they did really cool things involving, like, figuring out how to s- cure scarring of the cornea using stem cells and, like, restore sight for That's people. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really, it's <laughs> like, oh, wow. Yeah. So. I, I do graphic design. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I know, trust me, we all get the same feeling of being like, oh, that's really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go over here and work with some clay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so moving junior senior year, that kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> I well, mean, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, it ended up being really great for okay. me. Um, is moderately small town. Like there was one high school, and okay. I had in Seattle or not? Sorry, uh, in but, Kansas. Yeah, in Kansas. Yeah, was yeah. Manhattan, Kansas, where Kansas State University is. Okay. And I have very gregarious an older brother and an older sister, and so in Kansas. I was either Anna's sister or Dan's mm, sister. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly the year that my sister graduated, we moved here and I was, I was just Eva. Mm. And so that actually had a, it was great for me. I had a lot of time to like figure out who I was right, as opposed right. to just being defined in um, reference to my siblings. Right. Where did you go to high school? Uh, Taylor Alderdice. Okay, great. Um, do you, did you start coming to MCG pretty much right away or did, did the how did you hear about what was going on here that i don't totally remember um i mean i know we go yeah. there so oh, yeah, pro- yeah, presumably yeah. somebody was yeah promoting I, classes yeah i was definitely in the ceramics class there and okay. i think it was through the the teacher there who 
I've been trying to remember his name this morning and blanking on it, but... Yeah, if we find it. Oh, yeah. Great. yeah. He's, he was yeah. a great dude, yeah. and I spent a lot of time in ceramics, and I remember at some point uh, being pulled out of physics class because the physics instructor and the ceramics instructor were friends, and... Mm. I was good at physics and the ceramic instructor was like, yeah, I need, to, I need her to make some like bowls that I'm giving away as a prize to someone. I'm like, cool, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> and the physics instructor was like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I'm doing some physics with the... You turned in your homework. Yeah. Go, go make some, yeah, yeah, some yeah. bowls. <laughs> so. Uh, so when did you start, when did you initially get into ceramics then? Uh, as a kid. As like young, young? Yeah, young, okay. young. Um, but I did it off and on through then as like summer camps mm. and after school programs but i actually have a pretty cool memory of the first time ever like seeing somebody work on a wheel yeah it's maybe like six or seven mm. and we were going to a community potluck and building that has ceramic studio in the bottom and there's a guy there working on the wheel and he let me like come over and did the okay you can touch this i'll put my hands on top of yours mm. to guide it mm-hmm. and i was like this is a, this is amazing I mean, of course, I screwed up the plate he'd been working on, but like, <laughs> sure, sure. It, it w- but getting to see something me. from nothing like mm-hmm. that at that age, it's got to be kind of magical to. Yeah. Was that your first sort of? I mean, I know that's like really young, but was that kind of your first foray into art making? Was it always through the angle of ceramics, or? No, it was all art, and it's something where my grandmother was an artist. Mm. And so even though both of my parents were scientists, uh, they had a lot of appreciation for art mm. and also for music. Okay. And so definitely lots of childhood scribbles around. And actually my older brother is also a professional artist. Okay. And he is four years older than me. And so there's just lots of art happening in yeah. that house. What kind, what kind, so what kind of art are you seeing at that age or, or in those formative years? kind of around and kind of happening around you? Um, honestly, my first thought is children's books because mm. we had, I remember lots of just beautiful illustrated children's books. Mm. Um, and we'd try and get out to museums and stuff. And then it's definitely lots of various like after school programs. And <laughs> I have memories of like the terrible pinch pot coin jar that I made oh, for my parents sure. right, right, right. probably in like first or grade <laughs> or something and it's like I wanted it to be green so I put the green glaze on it which was the clear glaze because you, no one understands <laughs> how that glaze works, right? at that yeah. age yeah, so. yeah right 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 do you do you think of I mean you know obviously there's family but are there other teachers mentors that come to mind in those early days kind of showing you how to make art It's it's hard to say. It's like from the very early days, mm. uh, I have a lot of amorphous memories of art and of enjoying art. And here, scribble on this with some pencils, but mm. no, no particularly clear path. Mm. Um, actually, for most of elementary school, I can't remember if it was fourth grade or maybe second grade, but I decided I wanted to be a marine scientist to mm. save the sea turtles. Right, 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 right. Yep. So it's like, oh, scribbling is fun, but... Sea turtles is where it's all at. Right, right. So. Yeah. When did taking it kind of a little bit more seriously occur to you as a thing that, I mean, obviously it was modeled for you and your family, mm-hmm. but when did it occur to you that it was like a path that you could also go on? Uh, Manchester Craftsman's Guild. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. 
it was this, and it was also the Pennsylvania Governor School for the Arts, mm. which I was very lucky enough to attend between my junior and senior year of high school. And back then, I believe it was a five-week course on a college campus in Erie. Mm. And it was very interesting to me where even until then, I'd been assuming I'd be going straight into a career in science just because I have a pretty analytical mind and mm. I love figuring things out like that. Right, right. But then suddenly I realized that I love this a whole lot as well. And there are opportunities for a career in art. And so between MCG and Govey School, I was like, oh, maybe maybe I should think hard about this as I move forward. And yeah. It was pretty neat. Do you remember your first time coming here? Or the, an early an early kind of exposure? Uh, I'm not specifically sure of, like, remembering first time coming here, but uh, I remember just piling onto the bus at Taylor mm. Alderdice and taking the bus over, and it was really fun. Do you, did you know what you were coming here for? Like, what it would be like? Was it just kind of a, hey, there's after-school art? Yeah, you it was should, just, you know. like... I, I'd heard that there was after school ceramics mm -hmm. and I was real excited about that because I was like, well, clearly I wasn't getting enough ceramics in school <laughs> if they're right. borrowing me from right. physics class. Right. <laughs> um, and so I remember just being real excited about the opportunity for more ceramics. Mm. When did, when did that kind of, I mean, and you mentioned the thing at, 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 in your youth kind of encountering ceramics, when did that kind of focus for you as like your, medium do you think like if you had heard because i'm just wondering like if you had heard that there were ceramics here and that was enough to be like okay i gotta go had that already kind of solidified in your mind as like how you wanted to make art um i'm not sure when that happened mm. uh i remember taking ceramics classes I'm trying to remember now if this was middle school or high school but like whenever there's a ceramics elective taking mm -hmm. it and so I think I did a lot of choosing that over drawing and doing it at every opportunity. It's actually very funny thinking back to it. Um, I went into a, at Carnegie Mellon, I did a interdisciplinary degree. Mm -hmm. So like half art, half chemistry, more evenly divided than someone would do for a double major. But I went into an art field where my entire drawing education up to this point was a copy of how to draw manga volume one <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're just like a, not knocking it they had good lessons about sure. perspective sure, it was sure. like, but it's definitely most of my experience with ceramics hmm. what do you so i maybe it's hard to remember when you made the choice but but looking back what do you think it was about ceramics over other media that kept you that engaged um, I absolutely love working with my hands. Mm. Um, and it's pretty interesting because during my time at MCG and through college, even though I was getting a sculpture education, and when I first came out of college, I I wanted to be a potter. Mm. And if you go see my show in there, it's, it's all sculpture. Mm -hmm. And so I have so much love for making pottery but I don't have love for the pottery I make. I have a lot of love for other people, mm. other people's pots. Mm. It's something I realized that I would rather 
focus on making sculptures I'm happy of and collect the pottery of potters whose work I love. Mm. Did you do any throwing here? Oh yeah, yeah, a lot. Did it, and then did you do any of that kind of hand-built sculpture here as well? Or did that come yes, later? Yes, and actually I brought in today a very large, very strange hand-built sculpture that I made. That you made my, here? Oh, cool. I made here, my time here. It's inspired by Peter and the Wolf, and it's mm -hmm. a giant slab-built black wolf with a duck made out of circuit boards within the wolf. Because <laughs> it's definitely, it's yeah. definitely very... Uh, a deep piece from a 17-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, it's very fun, but it's also very much... I like having it included in the show more as inspiration that don't limit yourself to what you're making at this age. Mm. Right, 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 <laughs> right. So t t take me to CMU then. So that mm -hmm. kind of process, once you, once you had started doing regular ceramics here... Did the track kind of lock in for you? Like, okay, and then being in Pittsburgh, that's kind of the art school. Well, it was interesting because I would mentioned before that I had was thinking about go, going into science. Mm. And at some point in my track, I think maybe at governor school, I can't remember if Manchester had anything, was I found Raku firing. Mm -hmm. And I was just blown away to be able to see chemistry in action like that because you... You take a copper glaze and you post-firing reduce it by putting it into like newspaper and then putting a bucket over it. And where the fire consumes the oxygen, it pulls it from the copper and it changes the copper from like copper red to copper green mm. or maybe the reverse, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but you can look at it and you can see chemistry in action. I'm like, this is amazing. Ceramics is just art and chemistry mm. and Carnegie Mellon had a almost brand new, I think as the second year of it, a uh, Bachelor of Science and Art mm. is an interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary program mm. where um, I had to apply to both schools and I looked at it and I, I put my work forward. And I'm like, this is, I want to study the overlap of chemistry and art. Mm. I'm so excited for it. And they loved it. And it turns out glazes don't work that way at all. Mm. <laughs> 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 and it also turned out I wasn't that great at like inorganic chemistry. So right. I basically had a degree in sculpture and a degree in organic chemistry. And organic chemistry is all the stuff that just burns out when you fire the clay. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So when you're at CMU, are you thinking now, okay, professionally, this is going to be, or did you have other goals in mind beyond that? Um, I still didn't quite know by the time I left. Okay. Um, I ended up doing a, sort of an apprenticeship after I left CMU and at the same time working in a chem lab. Mm. And I wasn't quite sure what path I was going to follow. Because like I said, at CMU, I discovered there was less overlap than I thought, mm. that, than mm -hmm. I thought between the art and the science. Um, and in the end, I ended up pursuing ceramics full-time. And I've kept my analytical mind. I've kept my, like, I want to understand why this is happening. Mm -hmm. And this is something for which I should clarify. 
uh, a background in science is not necessary for being really excited right. about understanding sure. process. Sure, sure. But that just happened to be where the science fits into my work now as an artist. Mm. It's just this drive to like understand why and to play around with process. And presumably also to know what you're trying to do. Like if I wanted to do this, I have to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. But it's almost more... Um, so for me, doing wood firing, wood firing is a lot... It's an equal mix of control and relinquishing of control. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, I wanted to start playing with different colors in the wood, wood kiln. And so even though it's a very un uncontrolled environment, I approached it very methodically of like, okay, let's try these samples and these clays and I'll record where they are in the kiln mm. and record the results. And that's where I still see my science coming into gotcha. it. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. So take me then from CMU. Did you go straight from there back to Seattle? Yes. Okay. And part of this was my uh, partner at the time. Now my husband mm -hmm. um, was hired by Amazon when okay. we came out. And this is back when they had like 2,000 engineers. Right, 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 right. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. It's a very different piece now. <laughs> um, but we went went to Seattle together. Um, I did sort of a assistantship with a potter out there for several years, and mm -hmm. I learned to wood fire with him. Um, Was that your first exposure to wood firing then? No, actually, I had a chance to fire with Dale Huffman back here in Pittsburgh. Okay, okay. And so it was only one or two firings, uh, but I was really fascinated mm. by it. It's just, it's got so many neat things going for it. In addition to the, it's really cool looking. There's right, a lot right, of fire. Right. I mean, it's, it's so like rugged and, yeah. And there's something primal about it. Oh absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then it's also like, so it's definitely all of that attraction. Mm -hmm. And then learning to work with the fire in a, collaborative way is mm. real fun mm -hmm. so so you're in seattle and at that point you know i'm you know looking at your work now there is mm -hmm. a sort of unified quality to it yeah both in form and kind of in subject i know that there, that might be a little reductionist but but there's definitely like your style did yeah. that start emerging then or was that something that, that started emerging a lot sooner it started emerging around then. Um, part of it was when I moved out there, I I had a plan to be a potter. Mm. And so I would start each day as I was assisting this guy, throwing 10 cups, mm. whatever. Like I'd try and do that every day. And then I'd use the scraps to make monsters. And he actually at some point was like, maybe you should focus more on the monsters. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and... As I worked on the monsters, it's very interesting looking back at how they've grown and changed over the years. And I actually included in this show something that uh, I was excited to have as part of this show, which is a piece of mine from 2008. Mm. Um, I graduated college in 2005, so this is a much earlier piece than everything else in the show. And you can see how the personality is there and the exploration of movement and simplicity is there, but also it's really just a ball with legs. Mm, mm -hmm. And as my work has evolved, it's taken some of the same aesthetic 
and humor qualities, but the forms have continued to get more complex mm. and the movement mm-hmm. has continued to get more complex and the scale has continued to get larger. Mm-hmm. When, um, when I look at your work and then I think about you talking about your kind of early memories of art being storybooks, mm-hmm. it, I can't help but notice a through line there. Is that oh, yeah. something you're conscious of as you're doing it? It's something that I hadn't thought about until now, but I, mm. I, it's definitely there, yeah. especially thinking about the, the early books. And also the like the how to draw manga. It's mm. something where um, I had a childhood rich in manga, comic books, anime, and myths and mm. legends. Mm-hmm. And actually there's a bit in the show talking about myths and legends. Mm. And I really enjoyed the fact that just being a voracious consumer of sci-fi fantasy and Greek myth and mm. various animes and just all of that comes together and to create these creatures. Mm. Can you take me through a little bit? Okay. Let's just like go into our imaginations here for a minute and say, you, you don't know what you're going to make, but you need to make a piece mm-hmm. either because you have a show or because you just have the compulsion what is that what does that process look like when you're start when you're just getting started mm-hmm. and then kind of take me through to here it is it can vary a lot um and i'm actually in the show i've got some of my smaller pieces in addition to the larger more complex pieces mm-hmm. cuz there tends to be a divergence for the two because some of the smaller pieces, I'll just sit down and start playing with clay as a maquette, mm-hmm. or even just starting the piece, not quite knowing what it's going to look like fully formed. But for a lot of pieces, both small, small and large, I do a lot of sketching first. Mm-hmm. Um, the sketching is very loose. It's very gestural. Um, and you're just looking more for like forms you like, lines that are interesting. Movement that is interesting. Mm. Um I'm trying to, like, for instance, this this swimming beast in the show probably start out with just the idea of the general form of the piece, the idea of a very round piece uh, in mid-water, mm-hmm. and the way the limbs move. Um, and then for some of the pieces in the show, they'd go straight from a sketch to a clay maquette, very rough again, just mm-hmm. like the sketch is very rough. And then they'd go to a larger clay sculpture. For other pieces in this show, sometimes the idea just sticks around and marinates for a year. Mm. Um, and are, what, while that's marinating, are you trying it and saying, no, that's not it? Or is it just all mental? It's often just all mental. Mm. And the doing wood firings actually helps me a lot because that is a fixed external deadline that I have to have all of my sculptures for. Mm. And oh, so you'll do everything all in one wood firing. Yes, okay. I do I do about three wood firings a year. Oh, that's all? Oh, I thought, okay, okay. Yeah, because the, the kiln's 18 feet long. Oh, we're talking big. Yes, yes yeah, 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 okay, yeah, okay. yeah. And we it, it, it takes two days to load, five days to fire. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. And so also probably a, a, a large commitment. Yes, a, yeah. lot of, a lot of artists all working together, a lot of all of that. But the way this plays into my creative process is I have learned I need an external deadline to get stuff Mm, done. mm -hmm. And so I'll get started on making things. And what's very often the case as a terrible habit is about 
three weeks before the wood firing. I'm like, oh, the idea that I keep thinking isn't ready. I'm just going to make it. Mm. And so I make it fast. I just go for it. And it just pops into existence. Right. So it'll be an idea that's floated around in my mind for a full year, but then takes form in like a week. Mm. Mm-hmm. So. When you're in that space, how much of it is... Because I, I think different artists kind of engage in their process very differently. How much of it to you feels like conscious work versus that kind of flow state I'm just in? And I know maybe maybe it varies, but yeah. but but can you kind of differentiate what that what those experiences end up looking like for you? Because I imagine with ceramics, if you do something wrong then the consequence will emerge oh, yeah. you know, later. later. So you do have to be, I, I guess what I'm th- getting at is I'm curious about ceramics specifically because it feels like you have to be paying attention. And I wonder, does that disrupt the flow state at all? Not at all. Okay. And so much of how I'm paying attention is how does the clay feel on my mm. fingers? Does it feel dry? Mm-hmm. And so many of like the ways I can mess up is, oh, I didn't wrap that tightly enough in plastic oh, I left that for slightly too long. And so, so much of that is more about external time choices. Mm, mm -hmm. And for my sculptures, it's maybe 25% active thought and Mm, decision-making and staring at it and being like, no, this curve is slightly wrong. But the other 75% of the time is just making it smooth. Mm, Right, right, right. So I'll be in there with a podcast or with some sort of documentary on on an iPad that I have in the studio and that keeps me going. Whereas if I was just left with my thoughts for the other 75% of the time, that would be, <laughs> mm. were you, is that, would the risk be that you might start overthinking what you're doing? Oh no, I'd get too distracted and get mm. lost in my own thoughts. Yeah. I'd say, Oh, you know that, that argument from three years ago, mm. this is what I should have said. Mm. And it's like, that's, that's not making my sculptures. <laughs> so for you, because I, you know, like, so I, I do woodworking. And mm-hmm. for me, I actually kind of like the quiet to do the think the thinking. But for mm-hmm. you, it's better to not let that dominate when you're in the studio. Well, it, it's just there's different stages. Mm. Because, like, the 25% that requires thought, that requires visual attention and assessment, and is this curve right... Mm. Um, you need to be paying yeah, attention. Yeah, that, right, right. that is flow state. That is like present in the moment without my thoughts being too loud. Mm. The Once you get that done and you just have to smooth everything out, that's right. much more of when I'm prone to get lost into my thoughts of like, oh, what's the grocery list? Oh, what's mm, this? Mm. And it, that's when I like having a little bit of external distraction, distraction of something that's, interesting enough that i pay attention to what Mm. i'm doing but not so interesting that i pay attention to the media right 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 when you um you know when you're stuck Mm -hmm. you don't know what to do what is that what are those moments like and how do you get out of it because i think that's for a lot for a lot of creatives we can get in the sort of that stuckness, but then that kind of compounds and becomes its own. Bring the body and the mind will follow. Mm. And that's why I love wood firing so much because the wood firing is not waiting for me to come up with something. Mm. 
And I know that if I get into the studio, <clears throat> of course, because my work is so in such cycles, my studio is going to be a total mess. It's going to be filled with packing things. It's going right. so I'll know that the wood frying is like in one month. So I need to get in there. I'm going to clean the studio for a few days. And then even if I don't have ideas, I'm going to sit down in the studio and try sketching and see what mm. appears. Mm -hmm. And I, I start almost every firing being like, well, I've had every good idea I'm ever going mm. to have. Mm -hmm. Not sure what I'm going to make. <laughs> yes. Like yeah, next, I really right, like that right. piece I just made. And clearly nothing I can ever make is going to be <laughs> better than the last thing I made. Right. Right. Uh, well, speaking of, of the things that you've been working on, can you tell us a little bit about this particular show and the pieces that are in there and, and kind mm -hmm. of how this came together? Yes, so I've been so excited for this. Um, this was actually planned pre-pandemic, and it's been sort of an interesting journey to get here, partially because I had several shows in the works pre-pandemic, and the pandemic has shuffled the timing for them. So I've mm. had longer than normal to work on the shows mm. but i've also had sort of multiple shows in my mind at once mm, mm -hmm. but the key thing for this was i've been saving some of my favorite pieces from like the last several years for this and almost every firing normally i'll make say 12 to 16 smaller creatures and one or two larger more complex ones more fascinating ideas. And this show has been one of my first chances to bring together just the larger pieces, mm. which I've been saving for a few years. And also round that out with larger pieces that have been purchased by collectors of mine in Pittsburgh and that they were willing to loan the pieces to me. Mm. And thankfully I had a wide enough selection that I could bring together a tight theme from that. And a lot of that is just the theme of myths and legends mm. of here's uh, here's an image explaining the sun in the sky and the moon in the sky. And here's things that all feel like they fit straight out a, in a myth. Mm. Are these myths, are they, how much of it is your own thinking versus it pre-existing things, a little of everything? A, a bit of everything, and it's it's tough because I'm not coming up with the exact tale behind each of these. Mm. What I'm going for is more the logic of a myth, the sense of rightness, even in the face of impossibility and improbability mm. in a myth. Mm. Like, uh, I mentioned this a little bit in my, my artist statement, just because it's the, the language that I've found that describes the feeling I'm going for is just sort of the logic of myth. It's, of course, a woman is going to be seduced by a swan. Mm -hmm. Of course, a uh, first man is hidden in a clamshell. Of course, the, island, uh, the world forms from drops of blood falling into the ocean. Mm -hmm. And it's something where, and this is very it's, I've thought about this a lot because going back to the children's books, um, my parents were like, yes, let's raise a, a, a family first in like the traditions of across the world. And so I had a book of Russian fairy tales. Mm. I had Greek myth. I had 
myths of the Navajo. Mm. And when you step out of the myths that you learned when you were a baby, like Jack and the Beanstalk, mm-hmm. you're lo- losing the cultural background that sort of explains why this is. And right. you're just sort of, it's just being given it's to you just as... just the story. Yeah, this is yeah, why, yeah, this yeah. is, this is, this is what it is mm. because this is how it works. Right, right. And I love the feeling of that, of, of course this is how it works. Mm. Of course Jack is going to sell his cow for three beans. Right. Of course, and like I said, of course Zeus turns into a cow for whatever reason. <laughs> the, the Greek ones, there's a lot of weird ones where you, you read it and you're yes, like... Yes, yes. What, okay. what what was what were you going for the, in this? Yeah, the, yeah. yeah there is there is no why. Yeah, this yeah, is just yeah. correct. Right, right. And so, mm. like, I I have loved that feeling, and so that feeling from all of the myths and legends that I read as a kid keeps reappearing in my work mm. and in the form of creatures carrying suns and moons and all of these explanations for things that don't need explanations, mm. and it's all just. Because <laughs> mm. I feel like a lot of times when people are doing something like, like making a show that is like a kind of a long process, mm-hmm. it can't help but also sort of mirror their internal life mm. separate from the work. When you think of and and not to like force something on you that no. may, may not be true, but I'm assuming there's something there for you personally too. What do you think it was that made this particular take on a show so compelling that you stuck with it? through the pandemic, to come back to it, it's still a good idea. What, what's that internal thing, do you think? Um, it's hard to, hard to say. This is something for, like, I think what's being reflected is what I said before, the, the rightness of myth, mm. the language of mm-hmm. myth. Um, my, my own, uh, for lack of a better word, but, like, traumas or deeper emotions, I tend to keep pretty guarded from my work. Mm. And sometimes when it, sleep, it slips in, um, it can make amazing pieces. But if I ask it to, or if I force it to, mm. it makes bad pieces. Mm. And so there's definitely a few pieces where like a year later, it's like, oh, that was dealing with the death of my grandmother. Mm. But I can't act, I can't ask myself to make that work. Right. It's more recognizing it after the fact, like, oh, that's yes. what was going on, right, right. And so those work pieces of work in my portfolio are pretty rare. Mm. And just the way this show worked out, I didn't happen to have any of those deeply personal mm. pieces mm. for me. Mm. Interesting. Um, for you, what what role does art making play for who you are as a person, do you think? I know that's a big question. Oh, it really big. Is. And the reason I'm asking that is, and maybe I should put some context on that, because we've been talking about the work we're doing in MCG Youth, um, especially in the past year or so, of thinking of it as youth development through the arts. So we're rec- trying to kind of formally recognize that we're not just incidentally doing art. And yeah. if you have a great time, you feel good about yourself, cool. But we're actually trying to say there are there's something inherent to art that forms a more complete person. And how do we start to intentionally structure the classes we're teaching, the conversations yeah. we're having, the goals we're setting? So I'm just curious, when you think about your own life and what art has been for you and how, how who you are now is a consequence of art generally, what kind of thoughts that kind of brings to mind? 
my first thought isn't so much to the emotional side of development, but more to learning to live as a person, learning mm. to live as an adult, which for me, working as a professional artist, all the skills that I've had to learn are the things that keep me functioning as an adult. Mm. And it's something actually where I had pretty strong uh, ADHD as a kid. And then as an adult, I've been man able to use the skills that I've learned working in art, working as mm. a professional artist to manage my life in such a way that it doesn't, I don't particularly have any symptoms from it. Mm. What, do you th what do you think the main sort of, if you kind of put some markers down, yeah. like what are the things in your art practice that you feel like are those kind of maybe more grounding yeah. practices? Well, just, I mentioned bringing the body and the mind will follow. Mm -hmm. Understanding that even if I'm not feeling like it, I can still get things done. Mm -hmm. And just learning from, through my art how to manage my time, mm. how to show up and start working on something and how the act of even just working on something can lead to inspiration, mm. can lead yeah, to... Yeah, that, that value of showing up. Yes. Of, like, of, of just doing yeah. doing that that simple activity. And I feel like that that's a huge one, especially for especially for a young person in particular. Yeah. Because like the... There's... We live with so much distraction now. Yeah. The idea of being like, okay, no, no, no. I know I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to show up and, and something will happen. Yes. Takes, that takes, that's a bit of an act of defiance against, no, do this, look at this, look over here, look at this thing over here instead. It's, it's a, that's a huge, a huge thing for yeah. sure. And we're, we're taught that inspiration is the first step in being creative. It's actually, no, the first step mm. in being creative is sitting down in the chair. Mm. Right, right. Yeah. And, once you're there, once, like, the first step of doing anything is putting yourself in the place to do it. And once you're there, you can start working. And it turns out, at least for me, once my hands are on the clay, mm. once my hand is on the pencil, I'll figure out something. Right, right. And it can be a really good idea, but it's not going to be a good idea until I have it. Which makes sense, too, why ceramics for you has been such, like, a, a through line, because mm -hmm. there is something, I mean... You want to get scientific about it? It's literally grounding because it is oh, yeah. of the ground. Oh yeah. And there's something there's something about taking a moment to connect to earth, to just like settle and focus, oh, yeah. and it's like this real tangible thing. Whereas if you were doing digital art or if you mm -hmm. were like writing music, it might be a little bit more ephemeral and kind of hard to grab onto something. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that that's very grounding to have that physical yeah. interaction. Yeah, and something where, in a way that reminds me of my time at Manchester mm. and specifically of working on the wheel, mm. which I miss that. I, I let my friend purchase my wheel because <laughs> I didn't have room for it in the studio. But like when I was talking about the first step of making anything is being there. And with working on the wheel, it's so wonderful because the first step is literally centering. Mm. <laughs> it's mm. you're there. Yeah. You're, your hands are on the clay. Right. You're putting everything in its right place before you start making. It takes the question out of it. it takes yeah. the question of like, what, how should I start? It's like, yeah. there's a single task you must do. And then once yes. you're in it, all of a sudden, you're there. It's so yeah. nice. Mm. Do you do you have a moment like, and like, I know that you're kind of moving away from the wheel. Do you have a moment like that still, though, even when you first start a new sculpture? Whether that's beating the clay or, yeah. you know, or some, something like that. 
A little bit. Um, the way I work now, by the time I have the the first step of sculpting for me is always wedging the clay. Mm. But I generally want to have an idea of, at the very least, the size of the thing mm. I'm making. Right. I'll normally make, say, a batch of three or four small pieces. And at that step of starting to wedge the clay and divide it into those four things, I have to already know the general shape that mm. I'm working in. So at that point, just trying to think back to how you kind of described your process, that mm -hmm. sort of, for lack of a better term, blank canvas moment yeah. is mostly happening in sketches? Yeah, okay. so um, I'll do a lot. And I'm stumbling a little bit just because this has been a change over like the last mm. two years. Okay. Where it used to be that for the small beasts, I wouldn't start up with a sketch. Mm. Over the last few years, I've gone to the point where I want a sketch. I want to know, okay, I'm making this tall beast and this round beast and this other beast that's lying on its back. Mm. Was, is that just a practicality thing, mm -hmm. just to kind of like manage your time? Um, it's hard to say. It's definitely something where it, it Or maybe changed. it's just it's working. It <laughs> don't mess with it I if it's working. Yeah, yeah, I think I make better sculptures now mm. when I work out the details in the sketch instead of trying to sort it out in the clay. Mm -hmm. It used to be that I would just start with the clay and see where it took me. Mm -hmm. But now, as my creatures are getting a little bit more complex, mm. I feel more comfortable sorting it out in sketches and at least having an idea, even if I end up abandoning the idea because mm. it doesn't work, and, oh, what I thought was a tail should actually be the face of the mm. creature. Mm -hmm. That still happens, but like, I feel more comfortable starting with a sketch on one side of the table as I'm wedging the clay on the right, other. Right, right. So, okay, so we've got the idea of kind of that grounding, centering kind of clarity moment. What, what do you think, are, are there other things about art making generally that for you personally kind of stand out as not just why it's worth doing, but what it's done for you personally? If not, don't force <laughs> it. But if so, you know, that's fine too. No, it's, it's hard to say because so much of my growth as becoming an adult mm -hmm. and is intertwined with the sculptures that I make mm. and intertwined with me learning to manage my career as a business, mm. which is a very fascinating Yeah, talk, talk, maybe talk about that a little bit because I feel like that's, that's a thing in your development as a human being yeah. that a lot of people who are just casually into art don't, don't make that yeah. transition for one reason or another or maybe even feel like they can't. So yeah. what what has that process been like for you? It's it's been interesting. It's also been slow. Hmm. And I also want to point out I was lucky enough to have financial support from my partner mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. my business was getting off the ground. Mm -hmm. um, it's been it's also a very interesting time to have a career as an artist mm. because. Everything is shifting. But originally, like when my professors went to school, it's like you get into the gallery system, the gallery gives you right. representation, they're doing the promotion, they're doing the packing, they're doing the se right. selling. You're just doing the making. You're just doing the yeah. making. Yeah. Um, now as an artist, uh, you need to be your own manager. Mm. You need to be your own promotion. You need to do your own selling. Your own accounting. Your own accounting. All of that. All of that, yeah. 
and it's it's a fun thing but tricky to balance mm. and it's very interesting to balance also what you're making that's giving you creative growth and what you're making that will sell mm. i'm lucky enough to have those overlap nicely mm. is that is that incidental is that something that just happened to be the case or is that something yeah. that you tried to intentionally do no it's something that happened to just happened lot. just lucky yeah it's great Absolutely <laughs> that's lucky. great yeah yeah because i know that's a huge struggle for a practicing artist is balance is that specifically the the what is the market demand versus what yeah. do i feel like making and if they can overlap that's fantastic which sounds like that is the case yeah and it's very lucky Pretty interestingly for me, I've managed to tie back in the selling of the art aspect as getting people from around the world involved in a large multifaceted art project mm. has been, and that's been something that's been really fun, mm. which is I had one problem, which is I don't produce enough work for folks to buy. Mm -hmm. um, the supply outstrips or the demand outstrips the supply mm -hmm. which is a very lucky place to be in but it also means that there's a lot of people who are like i love your work but i'm i'm a college student i right. can't afford your prices right. right or i love your work but they sell out too fast right. to get one right and so i had that problem and then i had another problem which is i wanted to learn more about various experiments in our wood kiln. Mm. Something that would require a lot, a whole lot of tests. And then I had this idea of hiding things around the mm. world. And that we're getting into migration. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, And so all of these came together to solve all of the problems mm. at once. Mm -hmm. It's been really fun. So basically to do all of my clay tests, I create little slip cast monsters which is, it's, it uses molds. It's one of the few places in my ceramics work that I use molds. Mm. But lets me say, okay, I'm trying five different varieties of this clay. I'm trying 10 different varieties of this stain in this clay to see where it, what it looks like throughout the whole kiln. And so that will let me, say, make 50 pieces in mm. a firing mm -hmm. instead of 10. And then what I can do is... I create adoption packs where I say, you have the opportunity to adopt a beast for $50, but if you do, you have the responsibility to hide a mm. second beast. And so I took all of the creatures that were my, all of the slip cast beasts, and I actually divided them into my favorites and my less favorites. Mm -hmm boxed them all up, randomly in each package put a one that was my favorite and one that is my less mm. favorite. So each person who received one would have the choice of which one they wanted to hide and which one they wanted to keep. Mm -hmm. But I made sure they wouldn't get two stinkers. Right, right, right. So again, that helped with the, even if it was a little bit of a failure, mm -hmm. a little bit of a meh piece, mm -hmm. they were getting a better one at the same time. Right, right. So all of those, I sent those out into the world and I got people hiding my sculptures mm. around the world and participating <laughs> in this really fun art project. Are they sending you back like documentation of what they're doing yes. so you can kind of see where they're ending up? Yeah, and they're, they've been sending me photos. And so I know they've been hidden everywhere from uh, Japan 
to there's a fair number around in Europe, mm. um, and oh, somebody left one in Patagonia, which is really nice. Wow. And it's it's been interesting. Um, I had friends who afterwards were like, "Oh, nobody's going to hide it. They're just going to keep both." Mm. But people are so excited to participate mm, in the project mm-hmm. that I get a higher rate of photos back for the pieces hidden than somebody who is overly cynical mm. <laughs> and just keeps both. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Might what think. what what are you? To talk me through sort of conceptually why what this idea kind of means to you and what kind of what you're saying by by doing yeah. this project. So the idea behind migration, in a silly way, actually ties back to my chemistry background, mm. which is there is a term in chemistry which is a seed crystal, which is if you have like super saturated salt solution or something like you've got more of some material dissolved in water than it can possibly sustain, but it won't do anything until you drop a little crystal in. As soon as there's a single seed crystal, other crystals grow around it, Mm. and from one tiny crystal, you create an entire lattice of beautiful crystals. And my goal with migration is to create seed crystals of creativity. Mm. Because... I want the stranger who finds this sculpture to have no idea where it came from, no idea what it is, no idea what, why it's there. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to come up with theories. They're going to come up with a backstory, even if they aren't coming up with, well, it was galloped in from the kingdom mm-hmm. of such and mm-hmm. such, as, or... They're going to have a theory of why this beast is there. Mm. Maybe they feel that it was a companion that a child left behind. Mm -hmm. Whatever they come up with, that's creativity. That was that's ideas that weren't in this world Mm. before they found this Mm. piece. And then also presumably there's that same phenomenon for the one doing the hiding too, Mm -hmm. who are themselves thinking about who is the person who will find this and what's that story going to be? And they'll never know. Yeah. Presumably they might find out, but most likely they'll never know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's interesting too, because it, it feels kind of like wood firing to a certain degree. It's this relinquishing of control, Yeah. but it's, it's still a deep expression of creativity and kind of trusting the process and, mm-hmm. and kind of resigning yourself in a healthy way mm-hmm. to whatever happens, happens. I had not made that connection, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, that's great. I, it, se- it, seems, it seems right to me. I mean, it seems oh, like yeah. that's, no. that, that seems like it's a big part of your kind of love of art making yeah. is that balance between I have an intention, and but I'm going to keep the edges wobbly on that intention yes. to kind of let it be what yeah. it will be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm, that's that's really cool. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk us through this. It's been lovely talking to you. In Earnest is a production of the Manchester Bidwell Corporation. If you found this conversation moving or inspiring, we'd appreciate your support. Your contribution will go directly to continuing this life-changing work. For more information and to donate, visit manchesterbidwell.org.